0: Let's pray before we start. So God, we love you, thank you for this opportunity and for uh, whatever ears will hear this, I pray that you would bless them, prepare them, bless us, prepare us, let our hearts be pure, that our minds be sharp, let our agenda be you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So this is the first episode in the Rise and Fall podcast. And we're going to be talking about the rise and fall of a lot of things, from church, To cultures, to cities. You're from Detroit, as you call it. And we specifically are going today on our very first talk about our rise and fall because there's hope after the fall. In fact, we have seen that we've had more success, not just worldly success or financial success, but just success in our family and our marriage and our spirituality in the second half rather than thinking it's just all over. In fact, It's like we had the first half of the football or the basketball game, and then we had halftime, which was the fall, as my dad said. You'll have to start out by telling that story. So share that.
0: Yeah, I think we hit the worst point of our life, at least corporately. Perhaps we both had more challenging times individually, but corporately as a couple. I think we hit the most difficult part of our, our life, and your dad sat us down on the couch, in the living room, in the midst of such a terrible turmoil for us. It didn't feel like we were gonna recover. It It often doesn't feel like you will. In fact, people who are in the midst of a turmoil, there's such a temptation for them to throw in the towel. I think your dad being somebody who went through that in his own life, identified that in us. I think people who have needed grace recognize people who need grace. And incidentally, I think you don't understand what it means to need grace until you've needed grace. And Mm -hmm. so your dad sat us down and he said, kids, listen, I want you to know that this is just halftime. This isn't the end. And it it wasn't like he was Bobby Knight who came in and threw a chair across the room and gave us a pep Mm -mm. talk. It was a calm, collected conversation. From a man who had needed grace, recognizing people who needed grace.
1: And a guy who had played basketball to yeah. understand the power of a halftime. Right. And so, you know, if you've ever played a sport, especially a bit higher level where the coaching gets more and more intense, you know that halftime can be the the uh, the very thing that changes the momentum of the game. Make or break. Yeah. And so we're calling this the rise and fall. And this whole podcast will be about that. But the goal of this podcast is to show people there's hope after the fall. Because right. many times it's more salacious to hear the rise and then the fall. And it's over. And it is it is more salacious. You know, that's why 2020 and Dateline and, you know, TMZ, even if it's not a crime story, the fall is the, oh my gosh, did you hear but then the rise that can come after the fall is possible, and there is hope. And we really, we lived that. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we uh, landed ourselves separated and on the verge of divorce. But the reason we say there was a rise before that is because we were pastors. We were in ministry, and it's amazing. And that's another thing is that when a pastor falls, when a pastor does dumb, when a pastor does something not respectful or doesn't practice what they preach, uh, that hurts the church. And that's why we will in future weeks be talking about the rise and fall of churches, pastors, cultures, cities. So let's talk about how we got there and how, yeah, the ugly, the good, bad, the ugly.
0: Yeah, I think... In the midst of the fall, I recognized that it was a pattern in my life. I think people who don't seek restitution or restoration are bound to repeat the mistakes that they've made. And I was in that cycle. And the more success that I, quote unquote, experienced, the more intense the fall was. And the more fallout there was from the fall, the more people there were that the fall impacted or affected. And, but it started out right from the beginning of my relationship with the Lord. I came to the Lord in a, a unique set of circumstances. I was I was 20 when I surrendered my life to the Lord and was playing football in a college and had had, had a meteoric rise and a devastating fall before that. I was... There
1: were patterns of falling, right? From,
0: yeah, I think my life was was like a a heart monitor with lots of ups and downs, and the higher the up, obviously the further the down. And anyone who knows my story, I, I mean, I was playing football at a great school, and I committed a crime. I got caught. I got arrested. I got sentenced. I got put, I got put in jail, and I served 111 days of a 15 year sentence. I got out because of overcrowding,
1: air quotes.
0: air quotes, and God gave me another opportunity, even though I hadn't submitted or surrendered to him, He had, he had committed to me. And so I ended up at a Christian school, a guy named Scott Sneer from Salem, Oregon. I tried to buy weed off of him and he told me I didn't need weed, I needed Jesus. And so every time he saw me for six weeks, he shared Jesus with me. And finally, in a locker room, before a football game, the football coach came to give a pep talk and his pep talk for whatever reason was based on John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only baby. I just started to cry. It was just, it cracked a seal in me, but it didn't change me. It moved me, but I still had the same situations and the same problems. And so I got kicked out of Bible college twice, once for smoking weed in the dorm rooms and the second time that I got kicked out, basically they would wash their hands of me. They're like, we're done with you. This is, we can't take this anymore. You, you're not teachable. And then they heard me sing at a wedding. And the president of the school at the time approached me and asked me if I would travel and sing before he preached to raise money for the school. And I said, well, I've been, I've been removed from attendance. And his, his take was basically, I'll take care of that. And it was my first example of this reality for me of if you're talented enough, they will ignore your character flaws. And I had lots of character flaws. And I had character flaws not just when I was a new believer. I had character flaws you know, a decade into being a believer, and yet people— for the sake of their goodness or their betterment or their advancement, they ignored the character flaws that were so clear in me. And I think I've done the same thing to people who have worked for me. And that's a natural tendency. If if somebody is usable for you, then you will ignore certain things because you don't want to have difficult conversations because you don't want that person to break their relationship with you because you need them.
1: Well, and we justify it in different ways, right? We justify it in grace. Well, we're having grace for Sean because we see so much in him. Or we say that now, that we have grace for staff members or team members or people in our life. You just, you you can justify it any which way. And you're right, critical conversations, being a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper is way harder.
0: Yeah. I- I think people recognize something in me that I didn't want to recognize in myself that there were two things I was really good at and they both really lent themselves to the ministry. I'm a I almost hesitate to say I'm a very good singer have always been. Very. But I am a great natural communicator. Yes. Whether that's individually or whether that's corporately. And so I have the God-given ability to turn the switch and be able to light up a room. And when somebody sees that in me, it's easy for them to ignore certain things. And so you and I together, you're the same way. You light up whatever room that you walk into. You have a natural attraction that draws people to you, a gravitational pull. And when you take those two things and you connect them together, two people who have the same natural magnetic tendencies, and you put them as a team, and then you release them out before you've developed their character, mm-hmm. and that happens all the time. All the time. But that doesn't only happen in ministry. I know we're talking about ministry right, right now, but it happens in all sorts of different parts of the world. Right. But what's
1: it's, go ahead.
0: But what's interesting is when it's not in the church world, it doesn't destroy the whole ecosystem that that person lives in. Right. right? It doesn't.
1: It, it doesn't affect the insurance reputation right. of the world. That that. Couple who started that insurance company and built it or financial advisement company. Now they're divorced. There was an affair involved. Right. And I get it. We have there to whom much is given, much is required. And we are preaching the gospel and there's a different kind of weight on us. But you're absolutely right. We're the we're people and we should have it all together if we're a pastor. I get that. And we agree with that. We yeah, better get it together. For sure. But yes, there there's fallout in Amazon. There's fallout in, I mean, whatever it is, Merrill Lynch. There's fallout at Bank of America.
0: Yeah. The fact of the matter is we are human beings. Yes. As are all pastors. The difference is when I was young and when you were young, there was a period of time where we lacked oversight, and that is a fatal flaw, especially for people who are really talented. So when we were youth pastors in Tacoma, Washington, Pastor Buntain was our oversight. And so if I stepped out of bounds, he loved me enough to rein me in. He loved me more than he loved my talent. And I think that's the reason why I'm so enamored with Fulton Buntain, because he was the first person. It's why I'm so enamored with Rich Wilkerson Sr., because Rich will call me and he will he will speak life over me, but he will also speak truth over me.
1: And he is not afraid to hurt your feelings. Oh, not at all. Yeah.
0: And, sometimes it feels like he loves to hurt my right.
1: feelings. <laughs> and Pastor Buntain. sometimes yeah. you're like, you know what he said? He said when we when we were losing, Pastor Buntain said this to us, when we were in the hospital and our daughter had been born, born Savannah, we knew she was going to have issues before she was born, and she did. And he, he said some things oh my that were so hurtful, but he was right. And But he, I didn't know he was right for 10 years. You were mad for 10 years. I was mad years. because he was saying, because everybody else could say the things that, again, the peacekeeper things yeah. like, well, you know, the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And he was just straight no, up No, he honest. came in the room
0: and he said, you know what? It's probably better if she dies.
1: She's going to have all kinds of issues. We would have had to have a nurse live with us. She would have had a hundred surgeries before she was four years old. He said that though, she's still alive. And he says, it's probably better she dies. Well, he had walked how many years? 30 plus years as a pastor, probably along the bedside of people.
0: Definitely. It, uh,
1: It made me mad at him for years, but you're right, the oversight. So I want you to keep going on your story into ours, but I want to let listeners know, this is the very reason we're doing this podcast, because we want people to know that, we're not saying to have a rise and fall is totally cool. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just talk about it and make light of it and actually normalize it. No, it's already normal to have rise and falls. Uh, Let's figure out how do we help the person who, or uh, call sound the alarm for the people who could have a fall. But let's also talk to, and we want you as a listener, if you're listening and you say, but I've been hurt by a pastor who, was a total jerk, and and but he was a wonderful communicator. He was a wonderful singer or musician. She was a, a magnetic personality. And then when they fell, it made me question God, church, everything. And so that's the very reason that we want to do this because we don't believe that you throw the baby out with the bathwater.
0: Yeah, well, people, I think in ministry, one of the things that we fail in is recognizing that people identify the way that you just said, that people, right, wrong, or indifferent, when you look at your spiritual leader, he he is the representation of God.
1: <laughs> to he, a fault to because a fault. of the Pope. He is not the embodiment right. of
0: the Lord. Nor is any spiritual leader, no. but, but at the same time, as much as people shouldn't view their spiritual leader that way, spiritual leaders need to take that a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. Spiritual leaders need to walk in the manner of representation a little more carefully. And I haven't done that with my life. I'm doing that now, to be clear. For the past decade, I have walked that far more carefully than I ever have in my life. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because I fell. (laughs) Now, I don't want people to fall. But I also don't want people to stay down when they do fall. And so this is, for me, a duality of a passion project. It is for people who are like me who are skeptics. Anyone who knows me knows I am a natural skeptic. I doubt everything until I am proven otherwise. I doubt everything and most of the time everyone, (laughs) which quite honestly is exhausting but it's just part of how I'm wired. And, And so when I give my trust to something or someone and that something or someone falls, I am ruined by that. I am so disenfranchised. So for me, I want people who are stumbling upon this or purposefully listening to this who have been hurt by religious leaders, I want that wound to be healed. Number two, I want people who are religious leaders who have fallen to get back up. Yes, We don't have enough integrity-filled leaders to lose any of them. Mm-hmm. And number three, I want religious leaders who are on the brink of a fall to recognize that there is a place for you to turn, whether that's us or there's lots of other people and organizations who I know of who are striving with their life calling to rescue people from the fall. And thank God that there are those. And, and I look at the carnage that we left in our wake. And there are moments where that triggers me. And when I see other people who are walking down the same road that we were walking down. And honestly, I think for a long time, we, we blamed other people. We blamed lack of leadership, whatever that may be, but we made lots of choices that were very real-time choices that had very long-term ramifications.
1: And most of the time, we weren't thinking about anybody but ourselves. That's the whole problem. We didn't think we were going to leave a carnage of people when we left one church and then another and then another. We were running away from ourselves and trying to either find the next best thing or, like, remember the one move, it was— Let's move here because then it'll help our marriage. Yeah. We weren't thinking of the people we were leaving behind. So when it destroyed them or made them feel abandoned, we had no clue. And pastors do that. People do that all the time. I think people who get divorced do that, oftentimes not realizing their kids are going to feel this. Mm. Or they're like, they'll feel it, but they're resilient. But not realizing your divorce just destroyed People besides yeah. you and the guy, or you and the woman. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah, there's natural fallout to every choice that we make. We made unwise choices based upon uneducated beliefs. And we didn't have enough strength poured into us for us to endure without oversight. And so I come back to this idea of oversight. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a person who fell in ministry who had submitted themselves to their oversight. Because you could take the stretch and say somebody who didn't have oversight, but there's people who have oversight who refused to submit themselves to their oversight. Anyone who won't submit themselves to oversight is They're in dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. And so for us, once we left the covering of being youth pastors at Life Center in Tacoma, and I went on the road as an evangelist, we had no covering. I had denominational covering, but I wouldn't submit myself to that. I had certain things that I liked to do that were contrary to what they wanted done. And so because I liked to drink a little bourbon from time to time, I would... I would drink a little bourbon on the low. I would I would sneak and I would, you know, you have to fill out a card every year that, that says on the card, I haven't partaken in alcohol. Not
1: one glass of wine, yeah, people. But,
0: but, I, yeah. but I would sign the card saying whatever mm-hmm. that, you know, I had. It's like signing your insurance form when they ask you, do you use tobacco? But you want a better rate. You know so you, you use no. tobacco, mm-hmm. so you say no. Mm-hmm. So I'm signing the card, which then has made this thing, which in my opinion, drinking a glass of bourbon, for me, that wasn't sinful. But the fact that I signed the card and said that I hadn't—
1: That's lying to authority. Mm —suddenly made that
0: simple. Mm -hmm. And so that was like this seemingly small thing where I wasn't submitting to my authority. I had authority and oversight, but I was unwilling to submit to that because of something that I didn't feel convicted about. Mm -hmm. And so I began to have these— thoughts in my mind of what else don't I feel convicted about? What else don't I align with them on? And rather than breaking relationship with them, I then became bitter about them. I I spoke negatively about them. I did it in a
1: Concerned tongue in cheek
0: mm-hmm. kind of, oh, well, you know, they blah, 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 but we blah, blah, blah. And it was like, okay, listen, if you don't agree with the people who are in your spiritual authority, either you need to check yourself or you need to find a different spiritual authority because you cannot live your life without spiritual authority. And so I would I would encourage anyone who's listening to this who's who's experienced someone who had some sort of a fault, especially if they're a spiritual head, examine what their authority was. And I guarantee you you will find out that they had removed themselves from underneath that covering. And so when you look for, if you ever look for a new spiritual authority or you look for a new church or a new pastor, ask yourself and ask them, what is the governmental authority structure here? So people would look at our church in Green Bay like it's non-denominational, which we're not aligned with a particular denomination but we have more spiritual authority over us now than we did when we were part of a denomination or a collective fellowship because our board is filled with pastors who love you and I enough and who walked through the fall with us and know what our hiccups or what our proclivities are. And so now those are people who will speak directly to those issues and bring us back into line. And so we had this meteoric rise seemingly. For us, it was meteoric. And we had only been in ministry like a decade. And you had a youth ministry, one of the largest youth ministries in our whole collective fellowship. You, you were a, an incredible leader leading dozens of college intern kids, releasing them into the ministry. I was speaking all over the country and sometimes getting to go to other countries and speak. And it was amazing. And, and yet there were these flaws in us that had that had been ignored. And it felt like the same experience that I had where if my talent was good enough, they would ignore my character hiccups.
1: Right. Well, and we went to counseling and we're, the whole podcast for as long as this goes, we're never gonna throw somebody under the bus, Mm-mm. not by name and not even by like hinting around. Because what we've found is we didn't get better every time we pointed a finger. So when we went to marriage counseling with a pastor, we'd walk out mad at him because he didn't fix us. No, there's our first red flag. We had some major character flaws that he didn't fix our marriage or say the right thing. And so then if if he sent us to another pastor or another person, then we'd walk in and we'd say what was going on in our marriage, maybe give 75% of the truth on both sides, right? Mm Because a lot of times in marriage counseling, it's like, let's slowly let, the truth out here. And we'd take 50% of the responsibility or less. And then when that didn't fix us, we would say things like, see, counseling doesn't work, which is again, I mean, talk about all the C's that we're going to be talking about. Counseling, see, it doesn't work. Church, see, that's what happens at church. See that and and we we point to other things rather than going, if I keep pointing the finger and I'm a finger pointer. Maybe I really need to look at why do I point fingers all the time? Yeah, And so we went to counseling and it didn't fix it. So we wrote off counseling. And so, and I, I want to go back before you, you know, continue the story of us. When you said now we have more authority than we've ever had, I would also say, Not only do we have more in in the case of numbers, we don't just have one, we have five, right? But also those relationships are very close. They're the kind that you call on the phone, the kind that you can text, uh, the kind that maybe is also knowing other things in your life. They're excited about Isaiah and football. They're excited about Aubrey and her new song. Like they know enough about us that they care about us. But then when you are at that level of caring for someone, then when you call them out on things, that's receivable. And that's also the difference. Because I think there's people who'd say, hey, I am part of a denomination and mm-hmm. I have someone at the state level and the national level. I'm totally accountable. Yeah. But and- here's the deal. What if, could you call up that national person and say, hey, like, I'm struggling with, you know, our marriage. We're no affair, nothing major, but like, we're faking it at home. If you don't have somebody that you could call up and and say that or then is that true uh, accountability? It may be authority, but is it accountability? Yeah,
0: I I think to springboard off of what you just said, I think some people need to change their perspective on caring because there's there's two words that go together, caring and covering, because you just said both. If somebody really cares for you, they don't cover for you. They just cover you, mm. right? So like, I'm gonna cover you in this fact that I love you and I'm not gonna cover for you by making up for the things that you do, but I'm, I'm gonna cover you with my prayers. I'm gonna cover you with my thoughts, with my impa- input, with my insight. And I think we want someone to care for us like to cover for us, but we don't want somebody to cover us with accountability. Mm. And
1: yeah, we want them to change the story to get yeah. us through the audit, or change the story to get us through the checkup on your marriage, so that you can stay in ministry. Because what else will you do? Go work at you know the post office? Like right? I don't. We didn't have degrees in anything but Bible. So we needed, we thought we needed people to cover for our misfortunes. Before you move on, that made me think of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The Holy Spirit covers us in all of those things, right? He He's our comforter, our counselor. But this is why when we do something stupid, but there's still consequences, the Holy Spirit covers us, but doesn't cover for us. We might still have to go to prison. Yeah, We might still have a, get a divorce because our spouse cannot cannot forgive us fully or move on we might have to pay back taxes we all of the stuff he covers us he doesn't cover for us and this is where again if you're a finger pointer you point at God and go I thought you forgive me I thought yeah. that you restore me and look at all I'm having to go through right now there's still consequences
0: what's well, interesting when we get these letters from our our, I would call them members, our attendees mm-hmm. in our campus that's in the, in the jails. They often send us letters, and they're grateful for the fact that they're incarcerated.
1: Yeah. Almost every time.
0: There's something interesting about somebody recognizing their consequences. Mm-hmm. There, there are consequences to everything that we do. And I think it's interesting how you said even the the tax thing, where the IRS is not emotional. <laughs> they're, they're not. You can tell them the greatest sob story that you want. Oh man, I got a divorce and it's left me. They're like, it's fine. Just pass the mm-hmm. just pass what you owe us and we'll be good. They're not looking to do something wrong to you. There's no emotion involved in it. I had back taxes that came up years ago because a church that we worked at, they went defunct. And prior to going defunct, they didn't file my housing allowance. And so I claimed my housing allowance on my taxes, but when they went back and looked, it hadn't been filed by the church. And so it looked like I had erroneously filed a housing allowance. Where that there was one, no church. <laughs> right, well, they checked it, they realized, no, I didn't do anything insidious, but I owed them money. And to them, I just, I told them, I said, no, I got how oh, I was pastoring this church. I told them the whole story and the story was true. And, and the person who was responsible for my file said, okay, well, you owe us $13,000. It was so matter of fact. Mm. I held for two and a half hours on the phone, talked to him for 10 minutes. And at the end of the thing, the determination was your story doesn't matter. You owe us $13,000. Mm. Now if, we'll take payments, yeah. but, but, but. But the consequence of that, whether it was my fault or not, mm-hmm. the con- now listen. The church closed down. Let's just dig a little deeper because I can say it wasn't. It wasn't my fault. Kind of, it was. The church went defunct because, because I decided left. to leave, mm-hmm. and so when I left, the church folded. And when the church folded, had I not left, they would I would have been able to go back to the accountant's office. I would have been able to say, hey, we didn't file my housing lots." He could have just filed one form and been fine. Is it fair to me? Not really, but life's not fair. Mm-hmm. There are actions and reactions. And so in our life, there are all sorts of examples like that to where I didn't want to pay $13,000 to the IRS. I didn't have $13,000. Graciously, they let me make payments but there were still consequences. And when I made those payments, yes, that helped alleviate me in the moment, but they also charged interest. And why is it that we're okay that the IRS does that, but we're not okay that the Holy Spirit does that? There are sometimes consequences that come with compounding interest. Mm -hmm. That when you make that payment, you're being charged an APR on that because there's a lesson to be learned. Sometimes it has to be uncomfortable. Otherwise we'll never learn from it.
1: Well, and let's be honest, we've seen some compound interest on our children, and we can say, man— you know, you do the best you can as a parent, but you know, in the end you just can't. No, I don't think that. I think that there's been some consequences to how our kids respond to us or to life because our kids went through us being separated. Yeah. And I want to just say they don't remember. They're resilient. They were 3 and 5. They they were No, I don't I think subconsciously there's some things that we they don't even know has to do with our separation. And we were separated a few months. We yeah. didn't get divorced. We still lived in separate houses for a couple of months. Yeah. And our kids knew that was daddy's house and our beds there. That's massive. Yeah. So when they're 17 and 18 and 19 and you're dealing with some stuff and you go, and, and I often want to just be like, oh, this is so hard. Teenage years, it sucks. And it's our kids' fault. And what could we have done? here's the deal. I can't go back and fix it. So I can't just worry and fret and all that. But I also have to realize there are consequences Mm -hmm. with compounding interest. And if I can't take that on and know that our life even affected our children, then where's my teachability? And we're huge on teachability, probably because there was a rise and there was a fall and we had a choice at our fall, which was our halftime. Are we going to be teachable and we're going to fix us and do the things we didn't do before so that the next half can be good? Or are we going to continue to point fingers and find problems? And I love what you said about the IRS. It's business. Mm -hmm. Man, the opposite of business is church and Christianity where everything's emotional because it's tied with spiritual, right? So I get that. like yeah. we're, we're our, our mind and our soul are, are tied together just like they are with our body. That's why eventually our body can give out on us because of emotional and spiritual things. But think if we could once in a while choose to be a little more corporate in our thinking, not as a church structure. I'm talking right. in our thinking to, to just go um, the IRS says this is a this is a consequence. So, you know, do we have to blame God if we have um, lung cancer, but we smoked? Or does the IRS (laughs) say you smoked equals you got lung cancer, or you didn't pay your taxes equals you owe 13000 Yeah. Could we say, I did this, (laughs) I was a drug addict, my kids now don't speak to me, I don't have to blame God for that.
0: Yeah, and part of the re-rise from that fall that, has happened for us is there was a clear pattern that should have been walked the first time that wasn't walked the first time. And so because certain things were ignored, coming back to this idea of my talent taking me places my character couldn't keep me, there was a clear-cut restoration plan that was laid out for me the first time that I fell, that I didn't walk out. And I can talk about that more in detail now, or I can talk about that more in detail in in another episode, but there is a conversation that was had at Emerge where we talked about one particular issue and how this counselor so insightfully looked at me and said, well, this isn't the real issue. But coming out of that counseling conversation, I had the same reaction that I had had to marital counseling sessions too, because I, I wasn't willing to receive what he had to say. I acted like he was all wet. Like he didn't know me, man. You, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This is just a cut and paste. And, it, and in my rebellion and in my sin, sin is heavy, man. It's like a coat of, ma- coat of mail. Like you just, you, you can't carry it at all. There is no being able to carry a coat of sin. And it's interesting how many people, not just in life, but in ministry, who I've come across who are willing to carry this coat of sin, mm-hmm. thinking that it won't eventually make them crumble. Mm-hmm. There is no way to live your life in that. And I, and we lived our lives in that. And there are lots of pastors who are living their lives in that. And it is destroying not just their local church, but the church capital C and what people view of church. I'm amazed by how many people are allowed to get away with things in ministry. And now it has caused people to wring their hands and say, they'll never come back to church again. And I honestly believe that, and this this may be a, a minority thought. I genuinely believe that there are ministries that the devil blesses. I think the devil allows certain ministries to thrive and to succeed mm-hmm. and have great numbers and reach certain subsets of people because he knows
1: it's headed for a fall. That
0: person is going to give in. That code of sin, they're going to crumble under that. And and if he can allow that church to grow to a certain size, then the number of people who were saved In that ministry will be outnumbered by the people who in the end will never get saved and will never come back to church again because of the fall of that person.
1: Well, and what that looks like, because when you say that, I go, whoa, Satan blesses. Well, the devil can open doors for us just like God can open doors for us. And we have to choose the correct door. And I don't think that it's like the will of God is one thing and you better get it right. I think the will of God, we've learned, the will of God is a lot. He's looking for us to win, so he wants lots of great options. The enemy wants us to pick the door that is the worst possible scenario, but he wants to fling it open. He wants to, I mean, he flings open the door of the, you know, the person who makes eye contact with someone, Mm -hmm. not their spouse, and, like he's flinging open the door saying, walk through it. So you're right. How that could look is pastors are getting opportunities to speak at things and for things that that they probably shouldn't and their character wasn't there. And they build pride and they build momentum.
0: Well, someone can listen to me say that I think that the devil blesses people and legalistic theologians are going to have a response to that. Oh, the devil can't, you know, just Stop just stop with your legalism and realize that the devil isn't a sprinter, he's a marathon runner. He's and strategic. the devil is in the long game, hmm. man. And I, the devil looked at me when I was 10 and realized that I had a certain talent. And I believe that, that the enemy looked at me before I recognized my calling, he recognized my calling. He knew that the Holy Spirit was in me and was churning things in me before I even knew that. And And from that moment, He started to fight against me, and he started to look down the road and say, "Where I may not get this kid today, and if I get him today, what's it going to matter?
1: Nobody's going to be affected. But if Mm -hmm. I can start to Mm -hmm. just
0: leave some doors cracked and opportunities, and I can start to use certain things that he's going to want and people who he's going to want, and if I could just drip, 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 I'm going to deteriorate the foundation of his life. And by the time he recognizes and realizes who he is in Christ, I've already destroyed that. Mm. But here's the thing, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That The enemy can have a long plan for me all he wants, Because God had a plan for me before the beginning of time, Mm -hmm. before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me and he had called me and he had a destiny for me. And his destiny for me wasn't for me to go and speak at a few big events for a denominational whatever. His destiny for me was to spend eternity in heaven with him and to bring as many people with me as I can. And so now that I have had this meteoric quote unquote rise and this magnificent fall. And there are people who will never give God another chance outside of God sending someone else to them because of me. And I have to live with that. And I have to spend the rest of my life going to bed, going, there are people in this town, this town, this town, who I have ruined their view of God. I have broken a commandment and I have used the Lord's name in vain. I have conducted business in his name for my personal gain. And in the end, it screwed me and it screwed a whole bunch of other people. But you know what? I have to pick myself up from that. And I had to repent. You had to repent. And we had to recollect ourselves and determine that we're not gonna live our lives in the past. And there are people who they want us to live our lives in the past. And that's fine. They can want us to do that but I don't live for their pleasure anymore. I used to live for the pleasure of man. And when people live for the pleasure of man, it causes us to do and say things, go places that we, that we shouldn't be because we're trying to please them. But when we live our lives for this, and I know this sounds so cliche, but when we live our lives for the audience of one, and we realize that God has given us this beautiful responsibility of being his image bearers, And from the beginning of our image bearing, he intended for us to be blessed. And some of us weren't capable of carrying the blessings that he put upon us, that we buckled under that Mm -hmm. in our own identity, in our own sin. And so there are people who will stumble upon this podcast for whatever reason, who the Holy Spirit preordained for them because they have been wounded by people like us. And so I would be remiss to not say, if you're listening to this and you have been wounded by someone like me, a pastor, a minister, a spiritual authority, whatever title has been put upon that person, I, I graciously repent and apologize to you for what that has done because that is not the representation of the God who we serve, nor the God who is pursuing you. And you know that he's pursuing you because you're listening to this right right now. And so it's heavy is the load that is given to a person who has been given the calling to represent the Lord.
1: Well, and we're here to say it was our responsibility to represent God well, and we didn't. So in our second half, which has been the last 10 years plus 12 years, We're doing everything we can to get it right. By, at halftime, we did journey life skills. That's now our journey to wholeness. Uh, We individually got better. We went back to the traumas and the triggers and the reasons that you did things you did. You were trying to literally stay alive or not beat up on your block as a first grader. That spills over to a man who ends up incarcerated. Well, you're fighting literally for... Maybe you didn't feel like you were going to die, but you were going to get beat to a pulp. And so then you turned from the victim to the fighter, mm-hmm. and that it changes things. For me, I I had my own things that I didn't even realize were so deep, from from uncles, from bullying, from things in my childhood that were affecting how I was married, how I was a wife, how I was a mom. And so, you know, we we want to—we'll— have other podcasts and I'm sure we'll mention some of these things briefly, but the reality is our halftime or after the fall, when you come to the end of yourself, when you're like, I am at the lowest of low, we got to a point where like, well, we have no reputation left. We've separated. Mm -hmm. We can't pastor anymore in this state. So what's left to fight for or to try to build some kind of front for ourselves. We submitted, we found out, the reasons of our childhood, why we were arrested in development, all of those things. And and we had to take responsibility. But I think for the listener who is not the pastor, who is not the spiritual leader, who right now hopefully is feeling warned before they let, because let's face it, this started out with, we'd yell and scream and fight over credit card bills. right? And why did you buy that? And we don't have enough money for this. And that car payment's too high. These were—so, like, we've been talking, and you've been talking in more of a vague way about the problems, right, behind closed doors. They started out like that, and some pastors and leaders or business owners may even be listening to this going, well, it's not like my wife and I are having an affair on each other. We're not talking—we're talking the— the thing about the devil is that he always wants to up his game. Yeah. He's going to he's going to try to make you worse this year than you were last year. Next year he's got plans that are going to take you deeper and deeper in the hole. He's looking to get all of us to a darker place. And so just like this is for that spiritual leader, that leader to be like this is a warning or you're already living in it there's hope, you can get out of this, you can change. This also is for the person listening who's been through spiritual abuse, who has been hurt. You need to know that just as it's our responsibility to not make God look bad, it's your responsibility to not use us as an excuse. Right,
0: that's so good.
1: Because I think some people have, they've flipped God off and flipped the church off long ago. And that is what they feel their right is to be, Against the church, against God, against anything that resembles the Bible, it's their justification. Hmm. Which, let me just say, is a little like a teenager who goes, I fought with my mom, so I'm going to go sleep with a couple boys tonight. Like, there are <laughs> teenagers that are that way. It's true. There are, there are kids that they're like, you know, my parents got divorced. Right or wrong, they go and get on drugs because they're gonna show somebody. Subconsciously or consciously, they're gonna show the world. And and I think we all have to take responsibility. I can't blame the people who we used to look up to who have fallen and never yeah. did get back up. Yeah you know they never did submit to, you know, 3 years off and counseling. They just went and planted another church. I can't look at them and go, I wouldn't have done it that way. Man, you have really lost even more of my respect. So now I'm just going to say, is God really that great? Is the church of even needed? And that's what that's what we hope we also bring about in these podcasts. Yeah. And there's there's hope and I I believe that there's plenty of case studies, blogs, articles, even websites that can tell you all the ugly about pastors, about churches, about the drama. You can be in a church and you can list 10 things that look dramatic at the church you attend. Uh, But the reality is we want to leave you with hope. And the hope is that after a fall, it's actually your best days. Because as I think you would say, We have lived, you kept calling it like mediocre success. Yep. Our first rise. Yep. Our fall, thank God for it. Because now the success we're having, now the success looks different to us. It does. But the success we're having, man, I wouldn't trade that fall. I'm not married to a little bit better of a man now. You're not married to a little bit better of a woman. We're married to different humans now right. because we our fall was a place where we got healed and whole. And we now have a fear and trembling of the Lord. We now have um, an understanding that we need to always remain teachable and always have authority close to us. And now I feel like the sky is the limit, not because of us, but because now I actually feel trustworthy that if God corrects me, if God corrects you, I know we're gonna listen. I've actually looked at some pastors who had big rises and horrible falls And when I've seen them really submit to the process of healing, restoration and being teachable and submission, I trust them more now than the pastor that's kept his nose clean for 20 years, but never really seemed to have gone through anything. And some would say that's craziness. (laughs) But there's something in me that goes, man, if you've never hit rock bottom, have you ever come to the end of yourself? Or are you still leaning on yourself? So so there is hope, there's hope after the fall. So next time, next podcast, our second one, we're going to specifically talk about the rise and fall when it comes to churches. We talked more about ourselves today, um, the rise and fall when it comes to the church as a whole and the local church. So we hope you join us. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early Season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve. Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting, we're hosting the betrayed, we're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on a a twenty acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been, An ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry, have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location, and the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than $54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with $600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something, or you may say, I have 1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground, but I feel, (laughs) this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation. And they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land And to give them land they owned, and they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference, and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home. And we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're gonna give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're gonna give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're gonna give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.